Welcome to the Matt Travis Podcast on Liberty Talks Media. Today, I'm talking with Tim Dukeman. What's up, guys? Welcome to the podcast. Today, I have on Tim Dukeman. Tim Dukeman, is a, uh, he has a master's in political science, and he went to uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, he attended there for a little while. Um, and today, we're, we're going to go over a number of issues. As far as SBETS goes, we're going we're gonna to talk about um, maybe, uh, if we have time, we'll get into some of the stories he has of, of why he says the, the seminary is drifting leftward, um, as well as we're going to talk about um, um, the reasons why you should vote for Trump. He's going to kind of give his case on why you should vote for Trump and why it's immoral to vote for Democrats. Um, at least that's the way I'd say it. I'm pretty sure he'd agree. Um, but, but yeah, if, uh, and among other things, we'll talk about a few other topics as well. But uh, yeah, Tim, you want to go ahead and add anything on there that I may have missed that might be important to, to uh, what you do, why you started talking about uh, social justice type stuff, um, um, you know, using social media, that sort of thing to, to, to get your ideas out there? Yeah, um, I would say that basically the last se- several years, especially starting around 2012, 2013, 2014, um, I, my experience has just been seeing people that I thought were solid um, conservatives, solid Christians, drift or even sometimes sprint to the left and finding out that those people are not as trustworthy as I thought they were and that apparently they were just chasing the trend when they said all those good conservative things. And that's been my experience over and over again with a variety of people across the evangelical spectrum. Um, And so part of it is that I don't want people to follow these men off a cliff and Part of it is that I don't want people to start following these men and, and to be warned against them. Um, and I think the if you, you want to care about the people in your life, you have to warn them against the wolves. And mm-hmm. so that's what I'm convicted to do is to warn people against the wolves and show them the truth. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this just kind of popped in my head. Uh, we haven't even uh, discussed this at all yet. But um, I remember a while back you had uh, – you had made a post. I mean, this was a long time ago. This might have been like a year and a half ago. Um, okay. You had made a post about uh, about using social media as a means to do exactly what you're talking about to to fight back mm-hmm. against against those who who, as you say, you think were kind of pretending that they were conservative, orthodox, um, but are now drifting leftward. Um, and you had posted some of your stats, and uh, and it was pretty astounding, like how many views, how many, how much engagement you had on, uh, I, I think this was on Twitter, but I'm not sure it could have been. Yeah, it probably would have been. Cause that's where I actually have numbers. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, no, I, I think that's uh, like what I tell people is that, um, like, like I was on the unsafe space show, um, a, a couple of weeks ago. And so far about 5,000 people have watched that video and it's over two hours long and there's no way I can get six, I can get 5,000 people that I don't know to sit down with me for two hours and let me tell them the gospel for 10. Cause that's what I did in that podcast. I was like, and this is why the shed blood of Jesus gets us, saves us from our sins. And this is why Christianity is the truth and, and why the the Christian way is the way to go. And I'm just not going to have that opportunity. I can't reach that many people, um, especially not in the course of two hours. Um, so I think there's a, I think that it's, what I've noticed is that it's become very trendy in a lot of conservative circles to say that social media is a waste of time. And I don't want to say that like those people don't have a point because they do. A lot of people do waste a lot of time on social media. Um, 
But if you're using social media judiciously and intentionally, you can do a lot of good with it and you can do a lot more good than you, you can without it. And so I think it, it really needs to be, people need to look at the social media issue um, with a little bit more of a case by case basis of like, how, how is this person actually using it and how much time are they putting into it versus what kind of return are they getting? Uh-oh, I can't hear you anymore. Oh, there we go. Sorry about that. Oh, I turned my mic off. Okay. Uh, I had a baby, baby crying in the background for a second. There. Oh, okay, gotcha. <laughs> but anyway, um, I don't know how. I guess I'll have to, I'll have to edit that later. But, uh, but um, what was I talking about now? Oh, you were talking about social media. Um, yeah. And and how some people some people say that it's that it's not um, that people shouldn't use it essentially because right. it's it's well it's, uh, recently I was trying to look for there it goes found it okay they reminded me of of this. <laughs> This thing that I thought was kind of funny, kind of sad, but kind of funny um, on TGC's page. I was looking for an article they had written. So I went to their Twitter page and picked it up. And uh, maybe I'll throw this on the screen. But I started scrolling and I noticed three things in a row that were just, I'm like, if this is coincidence that they just put these three things out, you know, consecutively, that's it's a, heck of a coincidence. And the first one was an article about our, that says, are Christians are uh, more confident in politics than Christ? And the quote they used was, uh, Christians ought to approach politics with radical humility, guarding against the brash and brash certainty and overconfidence that leads to idolatry. So it's like, wow. Yeah. Have, have they read their own website? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing that you can say that with a straight face when you write on the gospel coalition, which exactly. is literally a leftist political website. Oh, it gets, it gets better. It gets even more ironic as we go through these. The <laughs> next one, these are all in order. Okay. Keep in mind, these are like hours apart, 12 hours, 14 okay. hours ago, 16 hours ago. Obviously I screenshotted this a long time ago, but like a couple weeks ago. But, um, so these are two hours apart each. Okay. The next one is an article titled, if you're fighting the culture war, you're losing. And the quote is to engage with our culture in a militant and hostile manner is to forsake our role as ambassadors. It's a capitulation to earthly wisdom, attempting to fight for the kingdom of God on the world's terms, which again, as you said, you're the gospel coalition, you're calling everything white supremacy. How is that not fighting in a militant and hostile manner? But you gotta understand things that they support and like are just obeying the Bible and things they don't like are culture war. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then the, so then the last one, this kind of hits on the point that you were just hitting on that people say we shouldn't use social media mm -hmm. um, uh, like we do. I think a lot of people, a lot of people don't know how to use it. I think it's, it's very, very useful though. And I think mm -hmm. painting broad brushes is, is, is kind of pointless. But uh, so they say, they say what to do about social media's downward pull. And this was an interview they did with somebody. And the guy in the interview said, it has become clear to me that, and this is what they put on the tweet, it has become clear to me that social media platforms themselves are acting as stumbling blocks, not simply neutral tools poorly used. And of course, what I said to this, I, I screenshot all these because it's, mm -hmm. it's hilarious, the dichotomy of these three things in a row. It's because, like you said, they're doing exactly the things they're not doing. And then also, uh -huh. they're not only doing the exact same thing they're not doing, they're using a social media platform to do it. So the last one right. even takes the irony to a whole new level. Yeah, but, it really does. And yeah, I, something that I, I always hear about social media is people say, well, no one ever changes their mind on, on social media. Have you ever seen someone admit they were wrong? And I'm like, all yes, time. all the time. Like this happens to be all the time. I'm sorry that it doesn't happen to you. Maybe yeah. get better at it. But like yeah, yeah. I have people change their minds all the time. I've had, 
I've had a ton of conversations with people who say that my Facebook page has changed the way they think and the way they see the world. And I, like maybe the people who say that no one ever changes their mind on Facebook are just not very good communicators. Like maybe, or maybe their ideas are bad and they should change them. I don't know. Yeah. But, yeah, like, yeah. If it, maybe the reason, maybe it's a you problem. That's what I say to those people. Maybe it's you. <laughs> no, that, that's exactly true. I mean, I think of uh, two come to mind. Number one is, um, oh, what's his name? Now I forgot his name. There's a guy that there, uh, Hispanic guy that watched AD Robles channel and he was like full blown. Uh, oh, uh, huh? Yeah. Full oh, blown I, I've heard about this. Warrior. Good. Yeah. Yeah. He was full blown social justice warrior. And, and I don't think it was that long into AD's channel that he realized he was wrong just from watching huh. a few of, few of AD's videos. And now he does, he does content. Now I can't remember his name. I wish I could remember his name so I could plug him because he does, he does YouTube huh. content. He's active on social media. He does all kinds of stuff. So now he's doing the same thing. Uh, that yeah. AD was doing as far as trying to change people's mind. Um, and then also myself, not on the social justice suit, but we, me and you, before we got on air, we were talking about uh, Jacob Brunton. Um, and uh, he changed my mind on, on, well, it's kind of a more specific issue. This is like the most prominent one that comes to mind, but there's a lot of cases where I've changed my mind. Mm -hmm. um, the most prominent one is, is we were talking about some girl who, uh, who was, went to like a, a, a christian school and she was getting kicked out because she got pregnant or something hmm. and there's stuff around that topic i'm not going to dig into it because it's kind of pointless but but i changed my mind on that and it was it was i had a very i, I was staunchly in my position mm -hmm. but because we went back and forth we reasoned with each other as the bible tells you to do to reason with people we reasoned with each other and it turned out he was right yeah <laughs> and i was like yeah that makes sense and, and you see this happen regularly i mean mm -hmm. you know, yeah. it's not to say there's not a lot of people stuck in there yeah, I, uh, I, 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 do you know who Michael Ferris is? Michael Ferris, is that uh, the philosophy guy? He's the, he's the president of ADF, Alliance Defending Freedom. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, he's no, like, he and I are like old friends, actually, because before he was running ADF, um, he, was, he was still at Patrick Henry at the time, and I got on, on his Facebook page, and I, I started arguing with him about um constitutional law and you can probably already tell how this one's going to end he just whipped me up to one side and down the other and just crushed me in the arguments <laughs> and i was like oh you're right and then that happened like a couple more times and like he and i kind of became friends over that of just him beating me in arguments and me having to admit i was wrong um yep. and i think that like some of the people who who want to poo poo social media like what they're what they what they fail to recognize is that what my my story is probably not as common where you, the person you're arguing with like changes their mind on the spot in response to your arguments because mm -hmm. usually people are too proud to do that yeah. um but the people who don't comment and just read the conversation those people change their minds all the time um and and that's the thing that i don't think people recognize it's the workers that you're that you're you're going for it's the the onlookers you're not necessarily trying to win the person you're arguing with you're trying to win the yeah. people who are watching um if you can win the person great like that happens sometimes but it's a lot more common that you'll change someone's mind who isn't involved in the conversation at all yeah yeah exactly um but yeah uh we, let's see let's go ahead and jump into we kind of yeah. kind of went on a, a little a little rant there but i think that was good i think there's a lot of good stuff in there um but uh but let's kind of jump into something that's more more uh, recent that's been in the news right right now actually, 
um, mm-hmm. this this film on Netflix called Cuties. We saw like a month back that a uh, that the featured image came out, and we had a little bit of information yeah. about it. And it seems like it was going to be a film with some fairly inappropriate content, to say the least. And right. um, of course, we were told we were overreacting. The critics who had already watched it, I assume they'd already watched it, were saying, "No, the story is actually about not exploiting children." And, and yeah, you know, yada yada yada. And then of course the film comes out and and conservatives were right of course <laughs> yeah yeah um but i kind of wanted to just get your thoughts on that overall thing and in particular and i know you've commented on this on on social media already um in particular your thoughts on the the argument that that because the, the film supposedly i watched ben shapiro's clip and supposedly at the end the one girl regrets having participated in these sexual acts on stage mm-hmm. and therefore that means it's a quote unquote conservative film, right? That's actually showing the bad part of that. Um, right. um and uh, of course I think Ben Shapiro is way off on this. I'm actually quite disturbed that he would come to this conclusion. Um the yeah. conclusion that he did. He doesn't support it, but he's come right. to the conclusion that there's some nuance on this, which I don't agree with him. But anyway, yeah. what it's kind of your opinion on the on that idea that it's actually a film against sex exploitation. Right. So I, I the the clarification I would make just to what you said is I think Ben Shapiro is trying to um, he's trying to distinguish the intentions of the filmmakers from the product. And basically like what Shapiro is saying is that re- regardless of the, their intentions, the product is still unacceptable. And I would go beyond that. I would say the product is an abomination, but, um, but yeah, I think that like, I, I, don't, I don't think that it's obvious that the filmmakers necessarily intended to make like pedophilia bait or child pornography, but that is what they did. And that, that's the thing you have to recognize is that sometimes your intentions like really matter and they really change. Like if you're saying something, your intentions really matter. But if you're producing something, like sometimes the work of art gets away from you in a sense and it becomes its own thing. And there's just no way to have the, these little girls twerking on stage and that not be sexually exploitative. And, and this is the thing that people never understand about movies is that there's a difference between, like people always are like, oh, why do Christians get so much more upset about sex and nudity than they do about violence? And it's like, because the violence isn't real. Like no one actually dies in those war scenes. <laughs> it's not like a person was legitimately harmed in the process of making that movie. Whereas, like the the argument I made on on Facebook was that like cuties is like if the Hunger Games like actually kill all those kids in making yeah. the movie like it's a snuff film basically and like everyone understands intuitively why snuff films are bad because people actually die when you make them like it's real that's why it's a snuff film and not a regular film <laughs> and this idea that like it's we can't we can't make this distinction is is ridiculous and that's always going to be the difference between sex and violence is that you can't have like sex without people, without real people really getting naked and really simulating those acts in some sense. Um, and you can, you can fake violence. Actually, we've been doing it for decades. Um, and so people need to stop being obtuse about this and recognize that there's a really big difference. Um, and the fact that, and here's the other thing too, um, I, I would also say that I think that this movie reveals how distressingly 
wicked the culture is in Hollywood. I mean, this was this film didn't only like get released by like the studio; it won awards, like it yeah. won the Sundance uh, Film Festival Award. And yeah. so this is what this is not just a film that like the Hollywood elites like; it's a film they're celebrating and awarding. And and so I think that this shows like how corrupted their culture has become that they don't see a problem with this um and they, they like it's basically like a, almost like a, a gnosticism of like we are so highfalutin in our taste that we are able to like look past the the obvious exploitation and sexualization of these little girls because we can see the artistic value of what's going on here um yeah and I didn't think of that aspect. That that makes sense. That that is that is kind of what it is in the way they talk about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the New Yorker article really is that. Is that like conservatives are too stupid to see the artistic value in this work of art? Like that's yeah. really what they argue in, in the New Yorker. Um, and no, like we understand what you were trying to do, but like what you did is still evil, mm -hmm. and like your intentions don't really matter. Like uh, Jeremy McClellan posted on Twitter that like, like his 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 satirical take on it was. Let me read this to you. Um, My new Netflix documentary against animal abuse is under fire from animal rights groups just because it's two hours of me torturing animals while looking at <laughs> the camera and shaking my head. Art is dead in America, and that's basically exactly what the New Yorker article. It that's says great. is is that <laughs> like yeah. art is dead in America because this right wing outrage mob is trying to kill our beautiful art that they are too stupid to understand. And it's like no, like whether you were trying to do like pedophilia bait or not, that's what you did, and yeah. and that's the reality regardless of intentions. Yeah, absolutely, you're hundred percent correct. And and the thing is, is like this idea that that either either they're at they make one of two arguments for the most part. Number one is that like in, in Ben Shapiro kind of talks about this in his thing. Like, like there, there's an argument of, is it necessary because you're trying to shock people? Um, and, and that's how you bring attention to the, so you supposedly bring attention to the issue of sexual exploitation of children. Yeah. Or, or is it, um, I can't remember the second point I was going to make, but anyway, off my first point, the, the way that I look at it, it's kind of, if, if you're so stupid that you either, oh, oh, this is the other point, or you just can't figure out a way to make, get the same point across without the sexual exploitation being right. in the movie, right? Yeah. And my, my point is, it's kind of like, if, if you can't figure out a way to do it, not only should you not do it, but also if you're so, so stupid to think that you should still do it just so you can get that point across, you're too dumb you're so dumb that you're a danger to society and you should be in prison. If you think that you have to have video of girls rubbing their badge put out in front of the entire world, then you're too stupid to, to be in society and you need to be in prison. Like, even if you didn't mean to make child porn, even if you didn't mean to do it. Yeah. I mean, what do we, what do we do with you? <laughs> yeah. I, and, that, and that's the thing is that like, I, I, the, this movie is so abominable that if it wasn't on Netflix, like I really wonder if it would be legal in America to possess it. Yeah. Like it's not obvious it, that this wouldn't get you put in prison if like this was if this movie was stored on your computer. And that's like I don't know. I mean, what's what's the line? Like what's the 
mm -hmm. principled distinction between this movie and the kind of stuff that we routinely arrest people for. Like I, I heard a um I heard a report a podcast about this. Um I think it was the New York Times actually. And they were talking about how they want they were basically trying to do some like investigatory research to report on it and what and they got in they got in touch with their legal department and found out that there's no uh, journalistic privilege when it comes to child pornography. So if you're a journalist and you come across child porn, you have to immediately report it to the FBI right away, or you go to prison, even if you're just trying to write a story. Um, and and if we're taking it that seriously, which we which is good. Why, why can't we take it that serious when Netflix does it? And yeah, yeah I, I don't see a principal distinction between um, between the kind of stuff that we put people in jail for and what's in that movie. Um, yeah. And if there is one, then like, let's, let's get a better standard. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that if, if our laws do not cover this, then the laws need to change. Right. I think that's, that's pretty clear. Um, um, but yeah, mo moving on from this, um, and this is this is kind of related because you had actually just shared something like right before we got on here, or maybe it was a few hours ago. I don't know. I can't remember exactly um, about that. The, the yeah. uh, Republicans had decided to, in some way, try to deal with this particular issue, um, deal with this exact mm -hmm. particular movie and and and, and circumstances uh, around it. And um, I can't remember exactly what it is. Maybe you can kind of get into that as as you start talking about this. But I think that's a good segue into into what's the case for voting for Trump or, or voting for Republicans in general and, and why is it immoral to vote for Democrats? Um, I think this is kind of a good place to start because I think that the way you would go with it is that, and I've heard you make this argument before, it's the, the, uh, 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 the gnat versus the camel, right? So I'll go ahead and let, let you kind of jump into that. Um, what, are, what are your ideas on why we should vote, why we should vote for Republicans, why we should vote for Trump, the case for them, and maybe the mm -hmm. case against voting for Democrats? Yeah. Um, so as it relates to this issue, the, the Republicans on both the state and the federal level have re have reached out to attorneys general, um, the Department of Justice, and they're pushing for an investigation of Netflix over this film, which is the opposite of what the Democrats have done. Um, most of the Democrats who are either silent on the issue or they support it. Like their their press offices at, for example, the New Yorker. I mean, let's be real. Like lots of these mainstream media organizations are just press offices for the Democratic Party at this point. Yeah. Um, and so the 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 mainstream media and the Democratic Party, there's not really a separation between the two anymore. Um, and so yeah, they would agree with the New Yorker. Like a lot of them would. Tulsi Gabbard, to her credit, is the one the one voice in the Democratic yeah. wilderness saying something good about this topic. But 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 she's not even calling for a, a Department of Justice investigation as far as I know. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's just all the difference in the world between the two parties. Something else that I think that is relevant here um, is that this point can't be made often enough, is that like five years ago when we were arguing about gay marriage, like we told you this would happen. This is yeah. the thing that we said would happen. And it came even faster than we said it would. Yeah. Like I thought it was going to be years before we would have like a legit high high culture push to normalize pedophilia, but it's here apparently. Mm -hmm. um, and and that's the thing is that like it's over and over and over again. I remember leading up to the Supreme Court decision on gay marriage, we were told that 
slippery slope arguments are a fallacy. And those slopes aren't slippery. And we can do gay marriage without going to pedophilia or polygamy or whatever else uh, conservatives were talking about. And the answer, like the, the reality has been over and over and over again. But no, you can't. Actually, as it turns out, you cannot open the, pack, the Pandora's box of sexual abominations and then shut it again. Like, you can't just do a little bit. And, and, and this is the whole message of scripture. You can't just do a little bit of sin. Like, you can't just tolerate, like, make, make a, a, create a safe space, to use their terminology. You can't create a safe space for some sin and just expect it to, and, and manage it. That's just not how it works. And that's not how God created the world. And um, what we found over and over again is that as we have tried to create a safe space for certain kinds of sin, but not others, it has very, very quickly turned into, no, we're going to do that other thing too. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that the social conservatives, like we've been right, like we were right about this and we've been right for about virtually everything we predicted for the last four years. And I really feel like people ought to, ought to admit that. Like when, when uh, Lawrence versus Texas happened in 2003, conservatives were already predicting that gay marriage was going to go nationwide pretty soon. And sure enough, 12 years later, it did. Um, it could, because the fact is that these things are connected. Once you do one, it's much, much easier to do the other. Even if there's not a, um, an inescapable requirement, that if you do X, you must and will always do Y in every situation, no matter what. It is really important that if you do X, Y becomes a thousand times more likely, even if it's not like set in stone, guaranteed to happen. If, if Y becomes way, way, way more likely, like we should probably talk about that instead of yeah. saying that like it's a slippery slope fallacy. So, yeah, and uh, I think a lot of people don't understand what a slippery slope fallacy is, too. They just use it. It's like with other fallacies, like with ad hominem. People mm-hmm. are like, oh, that's an ad hominem attack. It's like, no, I'm not saying that you're wrong because you're a bad person. I'm just saying you're a bad person. <laughs> like, right. it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a fallacy, right? Um, right. Um, in, the same way, in the same way, slippery slope isn't always a fallacy. It's mm-hmm. only a fallacy when, it does not logic, when the logical conclusion is not actually what you're saying it is. With mm-hmm. gay marriage, it is because the, the entire argument for gay marriage is that is that this is an innate desire or an inherent, maybe is the right word, desire that people have to be with and to love the person of the same sex. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the exact same argument that somebody who's a pedophile would give. Right. That I have an inherent innate desire to be with right. children. So, so yeah, you're, you're right. It, it, it's a lot of these, these sexual degeneracies, they flow down from, logically flow down from homosexuality and and Mm -hmm. that's that's just the case so it's not a fallacy yeah uh, i mean basically what what it is is that liberals like we're we basically started at the top of the hill and liberals are insisting that we remove the brakes from the train and we're like oh if we do that we're going to get to the bottom pretty fast and they're and then the liberals are like that's a slippery slope fallacy. And we're like, no, that's how gravity works. Um, and that's, that's pretty much what has happened, is that they have removed the brakes. And the brakes are the limiting principles. They're, they're the, the principle by which we say, we will not tolerate Y. And once you say, we must tolerate X, and the limiting principle of, against X is also the same limiting principle that you would use against Y, if you do X and you take out the, the limiting principle, you're going to end up at Y eventually. Yeah. And, and that's what we've been saying for years and years. But people 
didn't hear us because they didn't want to. Um, yeah. And yeah, exactly. And uh, so, yeah. So from there, of course, that's that's one area where where uh, the the Democrats are obviously far more degenerate than Republicans. Um, mm-hmm. um, so what what's like kind of the more the more what's kind of like the, like the overarching reason why, especially particularly with Trump, because people say you know yeah you know he he says mean things and and he had this this uh, lifestyle that was sexually degenerate before he became president at least. Um, um, and of course we don't know now for the most part what he's doing, but, um, but what, what would you say to yeah. the argument for voting Trump? Um, um, and I don't know, I'll just let you take it from there. Yeah. Um, so here's the argument I would make. Um, and this is what I would encourage. If you're a pastor, like within the sound of my voice, I think you should consider, um, if you believe that Jesus is Lord over politics or not. And if you're a pastor, you had better believe that he is. And if he is word over politics, then there is a point where a party can become so evil that it becomes sinful to support that party. And so the the first thing I would say is that there is there is a case against voting Democrat that is basically ironclad. And we can talk about that in a second. But recognizing that doesn't require you necessarily to vote for trump i think there are good good reasons to vote for trump but those are not the same reasons as you must not vote democrat and and so if you're a pastor i think you ought to tell your your congregants you must not vote democrat because these people have murdered 60 million innocent children and you may not support that you do not have freedom in christ to vote for genocide especially now that democrats are demanding that this genocide be state funded. So the concentration camps are already open. We're already slaughtering people by the millions. And Democrats are holding their campaign events at the concentration camps. And now they're saying that we need to use public dollars to make sure we can kill more people even faster. Um, and you just don't have, you don't have freedom in Christ to support that. Whether that means that you should vote for Trump or not, or vote Republican, is a different question. And we can separate those out and we can look at them separately. And so pastors, I, like, I've talked to a number of pastors about this issue, and pastors are very reticent to tell people how to vote. And I understand that because you don't want to overstep your authority as an elder in the church. And I, I get that. And I think that it's a good and godly desire to make sure that you don't trample people's conscience. But you also have to apply the, apply the scriptures to every area of life. And so if you're, if you're, if you, if you don't think that it's a Christian mandate to vote Republican, I totally get that. And I think you're probably right. I don't think it's a Christian mandate to vote Republican in a way that it would be sinful for you to not, to fail to vote for Donald Trump. I don't think it's a sin. Um, It might be unwise, but merely failing to vote for Trump is not a sin. But, but actively voting for Biden is a sin and we should say so. And and, and here's the thing is that we're at a point now where, where the, the, the degeneracy and the wickedness of the Democratic Party is so strong and so powerful and so overwhelming that if you, if you won't say now, now that they're running on state-funded genocide, if you can't say even now that it's a, a sin to vote Democrat, regardless of what you say about the Republican Party, if you want to say it's also a sin to vote for Republican, you can make that argument. But you, you have to say that it is a sin to vote Democrat right now because they're running on state funded genocide. And if you yeah. will not say that, 
you have no grounds to say that the, the, the German Lutheran Christians who voted for Adolf Hitler in the 1930s were in sin. And you have to claim those people as Christians and, and not say that they were casting doubt on their profession of faith. And you have to say that you have to claim the Nazis. Yeah. If, you, if you won't say that, that voting Democrat is a sin now, then you have to claim the Nazis in the 30s. And I don't think you should do that. I think that would be a profound mistake. To, and it would also, the other thing too, that like we're getting into here is what do we think is going on in conversion? Because if you're voting for state-funded genocide, that says something about the condition of your soul. Hmm. And whether you're voting for Nazis or you're voting for Democrats in 2020, like you're voting for state-funded genocide, that says something about your soul. Like I, I do not think that someone who votes like, I'm not going to say that, like, every single person who was Democrat this year is not a Christian. But I don't think that they should have assurance of their salvation because of the, the seriousness of that sin. Because they, they are participating in the, in the works of darkness that, that Biden has promised and is running on. He's running on a platform of, of killing children. He's running on a platform of persecuting Christians. And, and this is the thing that another passage that's wildly misunderstood is Matthew 25. So in Matthew 25, Jesus says... He that at the end of the days the, the son of man will come in judgment and he will divide the sheep and the and the goats and the difference between the sheep and the goats is he says when I was hungry you gave me food when I was thirsty you gave me water to drink when I was naked you, you gave me clothes when I was in prison you visited me and they say oh Lord when did we do that and he said whenever you did it for the least of these my brothers you did it for me and so the the dividing line between a sheep and a goat is how did you respond to persecuted Christians in your society? And Joe Biden has promised to take the little sisters of the poor back to the Supreme Court. Joe Biden is saying he's running a platform of Christian persecution. And if you vote to persecute Christians, you are acting like a goat. And if you're a pastor, in the sound of my voice, you need to tell people that if they vote for Biden, they are acting like a goat. And that should terrify them. And you need to take your calling as a pastor seriously because they are not going to like hearing that, but you still need to tell them that's your job as a herald of the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. And you've kind of, you kind of moved on from abortion and hit on the, uh, hit on the, uh, you know, the Christian persecution, which is an excellent point. But if, if we were to back up a little bit to the abortion, a lot of times what I think that they would say to, to still man their argument, they'd say, but, but Dugman, there, there's, there's this issue of, of being, pro-life in every area of life. And so sure, the Republicans are pro-life there, but the Democrats are pro-life when it comes to like taking care of the poor, yada, yada, yada. And then they would go on to say, and actually the Republicans actually haven't done anything to get rid of abortion. So, so what would kind of your argument be, be against that point of view? So the first thing I would say is that if you want to have a term like pro-life, that's not in the Bible, um, like that's, that's fine. I think pro-life is a useful term and we should use it, but you cannot apply, you can't say that Christians have an obligation to do something and then use a completely, uh, use a paradigm for evaluating that metric that's completely contrary to scripture. Because the apostle Paul says that if a man does not work, let him not eat. Yeah. And so this idea that you have to vote for socialism to be fully pro-life in every area is completely contrary to scripture. If, 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 if pro-life means that you have to vote for socialism, then, then the, the Apostle Paul wasn't pro-life, and we shouldn't be either. Um, 
but it doesn't mean that. Like that's never what the word means. This idea that we have to that pro-life has always and in every case meant we want abortion to be illegal because that's what the difference is between pro-life and pro-choice. The the reason the the term pro-choice exists is because people wanted to say, I'm not personally for abortion, but I think a woman should have the choice to kill her child. That's what and, that, and that's what the pro-choice argument is. And so the, the term for someone who thinks that it should be legal to kill children in the womb is pro-choice. That's what the word means. And so we, we, need to, um, we need to use terms accurately and not just let people take us for a ride. Um, and one more thing on, on this point is I would ask those people, how many dead children is it worth to get your, the, the socialism you so desire? Like how many children are you willing to sacrifice and, and, and how many lives is it worth it? And, and again, like, and I know this is a, 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 an argument that's, that's commonly frowned on, but the fact is that like Adolf Hitler was like pretty good for the German economy and he had other positions besides just killing Jews. I know people think that like Adolf Hitler ran on the platform of killing Jews and that was the only thing he talked about and all he really wanted to do and that was the only thing he did, but that's not really true. Like lots of people voted for Hitler who probably didn't even want to kill Jews. They just thought he would be better for the economy or maybe they thought he was more of a pro-life candidate than the person he was running against. And, yep. um, and this is the thing is that like what we've done is we've, we've made Hitler into basically a cartoon villain um, and the people who voted for him and supported him into cartoon villains. And that has removed our ability to recognize when these patterns are happening again. And they're happening again right now. Like lots of people who don't think abortion is great are still voting Democrat. And it's because they don't care about the, the, the children that Democrats are killing. In the same way that the people who voted for Hitler who didn't really want to kill Jews didn't really care. And that's the problem is that like at the end of the day, if you make an argument like, we should vote Democrat even though they've murdered 60 million children and are running on killing more. What you're saying is that you don't really think they're killing children in those clinics. Like that's really the upshot of that argument. Because if you actually thought that real babies were really dying in those abortion clinics, you could not, never in a million years, it's not even a, a, an argument that you would vote to continue that or especially not to federally fund it. And and so, like, we, some of these arguments, like, just don't need to be taken all that seriously because they're so absurd on their face. And they're really just a denial of the initial premise of, are they really killing children in those clinics? Like, that's really what this comes down to. Once you, once you say they have murdered 60 million people, everything else pales in comparison to that if you have any ability to weigh issues. If you have, any, if you have anything approaching a Christian worldview, then the idea that, like, this is some sort of difficult choice between... Donald Trump and, and Joe Biden, like which one we would prefer, even if you don't end up voting for Trump. Like the idea that like this is a coin flip election uh, uh, where they're, they're basically the same is absurd. Um, yeah. Let me speak to the, the issue of Republicans not doing enough on, on the pro-life issue. Um, so the first thing I would say is that parties are not like this unchanging thing that exists across time like parties are groups of people and and the Republican Party now is a completely different party than the Republican Party of 15 years ago even. 
Um, not like in every way possible, but it's, it's the, the people in the party are different and the people running the party are different. And so if you take this back to 1973 when abortion was legalized, the, the, the overlap between the Republican Party then and the Republican Party now is, is almost non-existent. Yep. Um, and so you have to stop looking at, at political parties as this like thing that exists outside of the, the political process instead of being something that is a creation of it. Um, and you also have to recognize that the, the, the Republican Party isn't like one unified whole. It's a bunch of people. And the candidates are not selected by, like the Republican Party isn't like a group of people who meet in smoke-filled rooms and pick all the candidates. Like all the candidates now are chosen by primaries. And so if, if you want to say the Republican Party hasn't done enough about abortion, what you're actually saying is that the people who voted in Republican parties didn't do enough about abortion. And, and if you want to say that, I agree. That's totally right. But the fact is that the Republican Party, as an entity, it has not chosen these people, has not put them in those positions. The American people have done that. Yeah, and, and uh, this might be what you're getting at. But, um, but I would also say, don't vote for those candidates. Like, I'll, yeah. give, you, I'll give you an instance. I, I did a video whenever Keller wrote that piece that was like, uh, Christians can't be a part of a two-party system or something like that back like a year and a half ago on the New York Times. I did, I did, that was one of my, that was my first uh, scripted videos about. Um, in that piece, I talk about that, that very issue. I say, I say, look, all Republicans aren't good. I was making the argument that it's a sin and that it's immoral to vote for Democrats. And I said, but I'm not saying that you have to vote for Republicans. And I'm not saying that every Republican yeah. is not immoral to vote for. There are plenty of Republicans. In my example, I gave us John Kasich. Yeah. First of all, he's radically pro-welfare. He, yeah. he, he, at one point in time, he, uh, he said something along the lines of, when I get to heaven, I don't think Peter's going to ask me, I, when I get to the pearly gates, I don't think Peter's going to ask me if I uh, uh, reduce the size of government. I think he's going to ask me how I help the poor. And what he meant by that is Peter's going to ask me if I took money from other people using government yeah. guns and give it to people that I think need it, mm -hmm. um, which that's utter nonsense. Paul, Paul would rebuke you for that if he was here right now, as you said earlier. Yeah. Um, but, um, but Kasich is a guy you shouldn't vote for, not only because of that, but also because he's not pro-life, and that's the only thing that made him conservative. And I said this three years ago, and now you look at what he did in, in, in Ohio. What did he do? He had a six-week ban on his desk, and he had a 20-week ban, meaning abortion's illegal after six weeks, abortion's illegal after 20 weeks. He threw away the six-week and took the 20-week, yeah. partially because he knew that he had to take the 20-week because it would look bad if he didn't. That's, mm -hmm. my, that's my theory, at least. Right. I'm being... I'm, I'm making some assumptions there, but, but why wouldn't he have taken the six week? Of course, the argument is that now then we have to fight it in court. Well, that's what you want to do. That's mm -hmm. the entire point, obviously. Yeah. So, 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 so in my opinion, there's plenty of, plenty of, uh, of Republicans you also should not vote for. No, again, like we're not saying that, that you have to vote for Republicans and we're not saying that, that if you, that there's no bad Republicans, of mm -hmm. course there is. There's some yeah. Republicans that are just as bad as Democrats. Well, Okay. I would I would say not usually. That's actually yeah. really rare. There are very very few Republicans who are even close to being as bad as basically. Oh yeah, Democrats. I think it's few. Um, I agree. I think it's few. And, and honestly, like you bring up John Kasich, if it's a general election and I'm an Ohio voter, I'd probably vote for him against the Democrat. Yeah, like because the fact is that Kasich is going to sign the 20 week bill, which is disappointing because he should sign a six week bill instead. But the other guy. 
is going to make it state funded. Yeah, the other guy is going to remove all the restrictions. And so like sometimes, and this is the thing people don't understand is that politics is the art of the possible. And the, if you want to change the country and change the Republican party, which I do too, but the way you do that is to vote in primaries and to run in primaries. Mm-hmm. We need good Christians to vote in primaries and run in primaries and get all their friends to do the same thing. And that's the thing that is going to actually move the needle on this. Um, once you get to the general election, it's damage control. Like that's what you're doing most of the time. Unless you've, got, unless you've done the work in the primary and you've got Ted Cruz on your ballot, you're probably doing damage control in the general election. Like that's the reality is that most, most elections are, are a choice between someone who is actively evil and someone who is relatively harmless, but like completely uninspiring. <laughs> like that's, that's the reality that we face most of the time. And well, it's kind of like people say Republican is the party of no. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of good because the other party is the party of yes to everything evil. Yes. Yeah, no, I agree. And so we need to be able to recognize when um, when we're in a damage control election. And this was an argument I made in 2016 because I didn't think Trump would be a conservative back then. And I was wrong about that. Praise the Lord. Um, oh, so I was, I was going to ask you that. Uh, um, I definitely want to dig into this and maybe you're about to talk about it. But uh, but um, um, as far as uh, I was wondering if your argument would differ from where because I didn't know where you were back then. But back then, that's where I was. I didn't vote for him in 2016. Yeah, I didn't either. Now, I've changed. I might have changed somewhat on how I think about things, but I don't think that's the main shift. The main shift for me is that it turned out that he actually governed more conservatively than I've seen any any president in my lifetime govern. Yep. Um, and, and people look at you like you're crazy when they say that, you know, the David French types, but let's look at what he's actually done. Let's look at the policies he's implemented. You know, they, they want to bring up like, well, he hasn't defunded Planned Parenthood. It's like, well, nobody did that. And he needs Congress to do that. But yeah. what did he do? He took away as much money as he could po- possibly could from them. Yep. He took away money funding abortions overseas. Yep. Like he did a lot of these things that other, other Republican candidates haven't done. Yeah. Um, but, but anyway, do you see, do you see a difference in, in, it, was there some legitimacy to your argue back then argument back then because for instance he had said he was pro-choice in the past mm-hmm. um and yeah. he had no reason to believe that he had actually changed his mind beyond him just saying that he had changed his mind um and with a number of other issues but go ahead yeah so so the other thing i'll say is that like i didn't vote for trump but i also didn't live in a swing state like the state i lived in kentucky during the 2016 election Trump went by 30 points and I knew he was going to. So I didn't feel, I didn't have, I didn't really think about it that hard, honestly, because I'm like, well, this isn't going to matter at all. I don't live in anything close to a swing state. Kentucky is one of the reddest states in the country. Um, And so that's part of it too. But, but here's the thing that like, so what I would say is that even in 2016, if I lived in North Carolina, I was going to vote for Trump. Like, you have to, because the fact is that in 2016 was the most important election of our lifetimes. Um, like we had to win that one. Praise God we did, because if Hillary fills Scalia's Supreme Court seat, that's it. Um, and like, there's just no recovering the American experiment after that. Like that was it, if, if Hillary won that election. Um, but now, yeah, he has a record and like, it's a great record in many, many ways. Like Trump is not great on a few issues, um spending would be one of them he spends a lot of money but like but on almost all of the most important issues trump has been amazing um and not that like and here's the thing that like 
you brought up how Kasich signed the 20-week bill um, because it would look like bad if he didn't. And that right there is why you should always vote Republican versus any Democrat because even the worst Republican, like Susan Collins in Maine, she is actually a pro-choice Republican. She's the only pro-choice Republican in the country. Um, but if I'm in Maine and she's on the ballot, I'm probably going to vote for her, even though I think she like is kind of evil because she's pro-choice. Because Susan Collins voted for Brett Kavanaugh. She she voted for Neil Gorsuch. She put she voted for both of Trump's Supreme Court nominees. So effectively, she really is pro-life, hmm. even though she's personally pro-choice. And this is the thing, like, it doesn't matter. Like, and this is the thing I would say, too, is that, like, um, I, I don't remember if Manchin voted for, for uh, Kavanaugh or not. But a lot of the Democrats, the red state Democrats that claim to be personally, claim to be pro-life in some sense, a lot of them are not voting for, like, good conservative judges. And if you're not, then you're, like, the, the, the sense in which you're pro-life is meaningless. If you're not voting for judges that will make abortion illegal, then you're not pro-life. And so that's where you have to look is like, which way are they going to vote? And, and what this comes down to, and this is why I say, like, you should always vote Republican, because Republicans can be pressured into doing the right thing, even if they're not personally convicted to do the right thing. And Trump probably doesn't care about abortion. Yeah. I, like, I, I bet if you gave him the truth serum, Trump could care less. But the fact is that Trump is willing to give us what we want on this issue, which makes him just as good as a Ted Cruz who is convictional on the issue. Um, yeah. And so the fact is that like, at the end of the day, what matters is how do you vote and which people are you appointing to important positions? And Trump has been wonderful on those things. His ex executive order has been great. His, his nominees have been great. Um, and regardless of, of the thoughts that are in Trump's head, he's done the right thing. And, and that's really needs, really needs to be how Christians evaluate him. Is what has he done and what is he promising to do in a second term versus what has Biden done and what is Biden promising to do? Um, and there's all the difference in the world between those two. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say in 2016, I think I was one issue, one issue where I actually believed what he was saying away from voting for him. Um, like for instance, um, I mean, I mean, the easiest one is the Supreme Court. I didn't think he would put Supreme Court justices in. I, this is what I thought would happen. I thought he would nominate a conservative because that's what he said he was going to do. And he wouldn't want to fall all the way back on that yeah. um, and completely lose his chance of reelection. And then, um, um, you know, uh, Cocaine Mitch, previously known as Turtle Mitch, would, uh, would, would do what his turtle self used to do and not get rid of the, uh, uh, what do you call it? Not use the nuclear option and say, nope, we're not going to require yeah votes because y'all have already uh, uh gotten rid of that standard for for the lower appeals court judges and stuff right um so we're not going to do that i thought that he would go no we're still going to require 60 votes because we're principled or whatever and right. then he wouldn't get the justice and then he put up a liberal and the liberal would get in that's mm. what i thought would happen yeah. so that, yeah. if, if i would have known that cocaine mitch is going to grow a backbone i would have i would have probably voted for trump because okay yeah sure i'll take because yeah. i had a lot of a lot of quarrels with his personal character but yeah the the main and those are kind of like icing on the cake of why I hated Trump kind of thing. But, but the main thing that the reason why you didn't vote for him is because I didn't think he was going to institute conservative policies and it's wrong. Yeah. So let me make a quick side point real, really quick. 
Yeah. I really think that Mitch McConnell might be the most underrated senator in the history of the United States um, because he gets a lot of grief from a lot of conservatives and like both like regular people and politicians, none of whom have done even a fraction of what Mitch McConnell has accomplished for the country. The fact is that Mitch McConnell saved America in 2016 when he held, he did not let Merrick Garland get a hearing. Because if Merrick Garland gets a hearing, then he's going to get voted in. And if he gets voted in, that's it. Like, the liberals don't need to win elections anymore because the, the Supreme Court can just rewrite the Constitution for them. And so, um, yeah, like, Mitch McConnell saved America in 2016. And then he did it again to fill Scalia's yeah. seat by, by nuking the filibuster. And so, like, the, uh, here's the thing. is Like, I get, and I think Mitch McConnell really is a lot like Trump in that does Mitch McConnell have, like, all these firm personal convictions in his heart about all these issues? Probably not. But my goodness, he's effective and he's getting stuff done and he's filling those empty judge seats at a record rate. I mean, Trump has transformed the federal judiciary in four years. He's put more judges on the bench than Obama did in eight. And so, and Mitch McConnell's been the guy to get that done. Mitch McConnell's been incredibly effective. And so I think that conservatives like may not know what they have till it's gone. Like, I'm very concerned that when Mitch Mitch retires, we're going to be very frustrated with the Republican Party because whoever replaces them will probably not be nearly as effective. Yeah, that, so that, that might that be, would be my point. argument. I, I do think people should, should <laughs> cut Mitch some slack. That might be a fair point. Another angle to that, too. I haven't really given much thought to this, um, but uh, another angle might be just because um, a lot of people that we hear talking about this because of the circles that we're in are probably like in their you know, late 20s to early 40s. And they would have spent most of their awareness, their, their years of awareness as far as politics goes, um, with Mitch McConnell ruling under Obama. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so it's going gonna, it's gonna to look a little bit different how somebody deals with situations whenever they're having to deal with somebody of the opposite party for most right. of the time. Um, but um, there's, one, uh, there's one more thing I wanted to hit on. We're, kinda, we're coming up close on an hour here, so I'll probably let you go real soon. But um, okay. um, oh, man, I know there's one more thing. Um, what was it? It had something to do with the Lehman interview. Um, oh, okay. it, was, it was something in particular that he said in there. Oh, no, 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 no. That's right. It was the CRT thing. Uh, critical race theory. Okay. So, so one of the things that Trump has been good on that, that, that I've liked recently is that he put out this, this order for, I, I don't remember exactly what it was now, now that I, I start talking about it, but it was something along the lines of he put out an order for some federal agencies or maybe all federal agencies that if they were doing diversity training that involved mm -hmm. um, white privilege and, and, you know, those sorts of concepts, right. teaching those sorts of concepts that he was telling them to stop um, essentially. And, um, and, and, and so that's, that's another good thing that Trump's done, but, but mm -hmm. off of that, as far as critical race theory, as far as white privilege type arguments go, um, one thing that we've noticed very recently uh, um, in, in the evangelical circles or the, even the reformed circles as well um, is this shift from, it used to be, well, it used to be like the BD said, there's no social justice movement. Now nobody's saying that it used to be that, yeah. that CRT and cultural Marxism is a racial epithet. If you're using it to, when you're talking about black people using it, it's, it's, it's mm -hmm. just a, it's a, it's a mean, un, un, unjustified comment. If you're using it, somebody who's not black, I guess. Um, right. um, but now all of a sudden it's shifted from not that, but you're stupid if you don't know what CRT is and you're against it. 
which is obviously yeah. a capitulation to to well uh, yeah there's some good parts to it so really you're just dumb and you don't know what it means mm-hmm. but i was going to kind of get get your your thoughts on that on on this kind of shift that we've seen and we see this shift in a bunch of different areas so you can bring up one of those if you want us to as well too but this kind of shift in what you think of it and and um and may, maybe what you think like the, the reasoning for it is like why would they would all of a sudden abandon the position of of yeah, we're against critical race theory and intersectionality and these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but, but, but really, like, you don't even understand it, what it is, and that's why you're not for it. Yeah, um, I mean, if you want to know why they're suddenly making a completely different argument with, than what they made the last four years, it's because the argument they were making for the last four years didn't work, and so they're just trying something else. Like, that's really what's <laughs> happening right now, is that what, what, what happened is that they they said hey we're not teaching critical race theory and we're like yes you are and we proved it <laughs> and so now they're like oh well critical race theory is not actually bad like so yeah. they've had they've basically been forced into making a new argument because they've lost the argument mm-hmm. like their last argument has been destroyed and so now they're trying something else um part of this i think is the work of james Lindsay, because james Lindsay is basically a like a world-renowned scholar on critical race theory and he is pointing it out and he's so he's so compelling and so knowledgeable that um, he he is basically backing these people into a corner. Um, if you want to see someone like set the world speed record for cognitive dissonance, watch James Lindsay's interview on Albert Mueller's podcast. It is incredible because James Lindsay just says, "Well, hey, if you let critical race theory in your into your institution, it's going to." destroy your institution because it's going to it's going to abandon the primary purpose of that institution and substitute in the purpose of social justice and so it's going to eat eat your institution from the inside and Mueller's like yeah that's right and like Mueller who had his hand-picked successor is a critical race theorist yeah. is saying this and Mueller's just agreeing with everything Lindsay says throughout the whole interview and it's just like the cognitive dissonance man like you are the guy in George Orwell's 1984, who can do double think. You're the guy who can hold two completely contradictory opinions in your mind at the same time, like, shamelessly. It's absolutely amazing. Like, I, I honestly don't know, like, how Albert Mueller can say the things he says with a straight face, because Albert Mueller's, all of his protégés are, are taking previously conservative institutions and racing them to the left. Russell Moore did it with the LRC, Danny Aiken's doing it at Southeastern, on and on and on, all of his protégés are moving their institutions rapidly to the left, and, and Moore has already set up a succession plan with Matthew Hall, who's going to do the same thing. As soon as Albert Moore retires, Southern is just going to go fully woke, and Jarvis Williams is going to n- no longer be the most liberal professor at, the, at that institution. Um, and so, yeah, like I, I do think that part of the reason that they – they've made this switch is because basically we've won the argument. We, we've got the receipts. We've got the documentation. We've got the footnotes. And, and they just can't deny it anymore, so they're going to try something else. So, so speaking of, of Al Mohler, um, you know a little bit more about the conservative resurgence um, mm-hmm. um, than I do. And what I find interesting is so, – so what I say normally to people who – want to capitulate on some of these on some of the smaller issues well they're not even smaller issues anymore but i want to capitulate on some of the smaller issues and also that just kind of uh well 
like there's this general narrative that I won't speak out until I have some sort of influence, that sort of thing. What wow. I tell them is, is that's not how it works. That you either start speaking out for the most part day one, or mm-hmm. you don't ever speak up. Um, so when it comes to Al Mohler, what I've always found interesting is that he does, did speak up during the conservative surgeons, right? Mm-hmm. He was one of the main leaders in that. So it's kind of weird that he's now capitulating now. But then I started to think about it and I started to wonder, was it really that brave? Because so now, now if you, if you take the wrong position now, um, not only can you get in trouble in the evangelical world, you also can't get a job outside of this. Right. Right. I mean, you could, but you'd have to be in that particular area, right? You'd have to be in some sort of political or, or, or yeah. academic realm, right? That, that was specific to that opinion that you had. Like you'd be stuck in one spot, essentially, and you'd be outcasted by a large portion of society, yada, 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 right? Right. Um, so I kind of wonder if, if back then, because it was more of an infight, that not that it didn't take any courage, but it didn't take as much courage as it takes now to say, no, Black Lives Matter is an evil organization and just using the hashtag alone is associating with that and is bringing money to them. Therefore, you're doing something evil if you're using it, right? I wonder if there's, there's like something. So what, what are kind of your thoughts on that? Is there, is there is a difference in the quote unquote bravery or the courage that it took to do what he did back then versus what it takes now? And do you think that's, that's a factor in, in why he would be um, um, quote unquote more nuanced now on this? Yeah, um, I think that Moore's doing the same thing now that he did back then, which is he is hmm. he's on what Moore does is he puts his finger in the air, he figures out way which way the wind is blowing, and then he goes that way. Like that's that's what he's always done. Like Moeller was um an egalitarian before the conservative resurgence had like fully taken hold. He wrote oh, yeah. he wrote articles in the, the Louisville uh Courier Journal in favor of women pastors. And this was in the 80s. And so um, basically once the complementarians won the argument, Moore switched sides and became the, the complementarian warrior. And he fired Mar- Molly Marshall. So you got to understand that like some of these people, it's not that they have, an, like people think that, a lot of people think that Albert Moeller is this ideological progressive. And I think that's possible. Um, and maybe I'll end up being wrong about this, but I think it's more likely that, that Mueller just doesn't have any principles. He's just an opportunist. He's going to go wherever the winds are blowing. And I, he was doing that before because he realized that the conservatives were in the ascendancy and they were on the way up and they were going to take over and that the conservative surgeons had worked. And so he's like, well, I guess I'll glom onto this. Like, oh, look, there's a parade of people. I'll go get in front of them. That's what he did. And, and, and he's just doing that again now. Like you, you'll notice like, Mueller sounded super woke a few years ago. And now that the winds have changed, he's trying to say, why well, I'm against critical race theory. I always have been. And it, it, it's, it's such a shameless one. Like he's never been like he, he wasn't against critical race theory before and he's not meaningfully against it. Now he's just lying to us. Like that's just the reality because if you were against critical race theory, if you thought that critical race theory was a threat to the gospel of Jesus Christ, do you know what you would do is you would fire Jarvis Williams, you would fire Matthew Hall. You would fire the people on your campus who are promoting this heresy. That's what you would do if you really believe the words that are coming out of your mouth. But so you're saying, you're saying you wouldn't fire Fuller? 
Yeah, yeah. And say you wouldn't fire four. And, and that's the other thing, too. Like, and then hire two more people that are kind of social hired, like, six professors <laughs> since then. Like, they, they fired, like, five people, mo- like, and the majority of them were, were conservatives who had voted against Matthew Hall. Um, and they said that they had to fire these cons- more conservative professors, like, for, for budgetary reasons. And then three months later, they're hiring all these professors. And it's like... Like, you're just shameless about it. Like, they're just lying to us, and they don't care because they don't think anyone's ever going to check them on it. They, you know, don't think whenever, they, they think we're just going to forget what they said yes. when, they, when they fired Fuller. Like, to that so point, you know what pops in my head? Whenever, whenever I see this stupid, this ridiculous nonsense go down, what pops in my head is A.D. Robley saying, they think we're stupid. <laughs> yes, they really do. Like, they absolutely think you're stupid. That's the thing. Yeah. It's hilarious. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Like, it... Like, firing Russell Fuller was such an obviously political move because they obviously didn't have a budgetary constraint. Like, they just didn't. If they did, they wouldn't be hiring these professors. Yeah. So, so. Uh, um, to kind of sum this up, um, it, let me know if you don't have time. Don't, don't feel bad if you're like, no, you're I gotta good. go, because we're, we're over an hour now. Um, but, but I did want to hear, uh, uh, speaking of seminary, I did want to hear um, if you have any, you know, one or two stories in particular that would kind of, kind of, uh, um, show that there is a leftward uh, uh, shift in some of these seminaries, something, something significant that, that either happened to you or that you heard about or that you saw. Um, so is, is there anything on your mind? Do you have time to kind of jump into that? Yeah. So let, let me say uh, a couple of things about Southern. Um, the first thing I would say is that I do think that some conservatives are kind of missing the story here in some ways um, mm-hmm. that like people think that the problem with Southern is that the, um, the professors are a bunch of liberals. And there's some truth to that. There are some very liberal professors at Southern. Um, but the, the like almost as important problem is that the students are very liberal. Like many, many of the students at Southern are like heretics or like on the way to being heretics. And they go to these churches. Like, for example, one of the, the bigger seminary churches um, in Louisville is Sojourn. Um, and Sojourn has a few different branches. They're not identical to each other. There, there's Sojourn East, which has most of the seminary professors at it. Um, then there's Sojourn Midtown. And East is liberal, but not crazy. And Midtown is fully crazy. But they're in, like, they're, like, literally, like, a, in the same, like, church leadership group. Like, they're very closely connected. Um, and, like, Sojourn Midtown, like, they have, like, displays like art displays about white privilege like they are very very liberal um and they're they're fully they're fully marxist um and and this is the thing people don't understand is that the, a lot of these seminary students are attending churches like sojourn that are way out on the left and they are very liberal like that that's the problem with the seminary is not just the professors but also the students that would be the first thing i would say um in terms of stories the big one i would tell you is that i went to I, I took New Testament with Jonathan Pennington, who was one of the professors mentioned in the Fuller videos. And Jonathan Pennington said in class that um, the meaning of the text can change. Words out of his mouth, direct quote, the meaning of the text can change. And so, so here's the thing. This is what people don't understand about Pennington. Is Pennington is a very slippery man. Um, and Pennington, what he will do is he will he will make all of the arguments for a fully postmodern um, 
basically view of hermeneutics. So hermeneutics is, is how you read scripture and you read other texts. Um, and so if you have a, a classical or conservative hermeneutic, you're going to say that the meaning of the text is driven by the intention of the author and by the words on the page. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, it's kind of the same thing as like in jurisprudence between like liberal judges who believe that the constitution is a living document versus conservative judges who care about original intent yeah. um, and original public meaning of the text. Like what would those words have meant to the people? You mean like the difference between uh, liars and honest individuals? Yes, <laughs> basically. Um, and, and so here's the thing is that what, what living document constitutionalism does is they, they, and they teach this in their classes. They, they teach them to start with the conclusion, start with the policy outcome you want, and then go into the, the Constitution and manufacture a constitutional argument to get you there. And that's, what, that's how they're taught to do it in these, in these law schools. Um, and so what Pennington does is basically he pushes that kind of hermeneutic for scripture and then he'll he'll throw in a few disclaimers and like obviously i'm not saying full textual relativism because basically if you're saying that the text mean anything you want it's textual relativism and yeah, yeah. and pennington what he does is that he will like be really loud about excluding textual relativism but he will not give you any actual reasons not to be a textual relativist yeah, yeah, yeah. and he will give you lots of reasons to be a textual relativist and like he'll he'll say things like the meaning of the text can change and in his argument is that meaning is application and because the application of the text can change the meaning of the text can change and that might sound like a semantic distinction and i assure you it is not what what he's doing there is it's it's called standpoint epistemology mm. in that basically if you have a like in in, in marxist um arguments that this is they're saying if you have an oppressed perspective perspective you're going to, the text will have a different meaning to you. Um, and wh what they're like, they're making it, there's a kernel of truth here and that obviously your life experiences can influence like what means in the text you might notice. Um, so it's possible that like somebody with a different life experience might not notice something and they might notice other things and, and vice versa. Like there's like a really banal obvious point to be made yeah. uh, um, in favor of this, and he makes yeah, these they're... points very loudly. But what he he has no brakes on the train. Like I remember in class, this this um this this girl who like I think it was one of her earlier seminary classes, and she obviously just had no ability to deal with what was happening. Like she even said, like you've destroyed everything I thought about the Bible. Like she said this in class, and and I just remember sitting in class. And being like, this is wicked. Like, what is happening right now is bad. He's harming that girl, mm -hmm. and he's harming these students. And so, basically, after that, I started arguing with him a lot. <laughs> basically, <laughs> like, when he said the meaning of the text can change, I went off like a rocket, and we, like, we went we went at each other for a little bit. Um, well, and in 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 what they what they mean by that too you said that like sometimes you can look at a text and, and because you've lived in a you know a, a certain life you're you're you see things that other people may not have been able to to see mm -hmm. uh, um but it's not just like it's not just this idea that you're not able to see it um it's not just that 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 you're not good at seeing it mm -hmm. which is kind of what you're saying yeah what they, what they mean by it is that you literally can't see it 
mm-hmm. that you aren't capable. They're essentially by a privilege. They're, yeah, there's it's it's it is it is like a postmodernism. It is a a you, you cannot reason your way to it. You have to have this life experience to know. Yeah, it. yeah right. that's, and that's why Jarvis Williams, for example, will aggressively push that we must read black and brown authors. That's what he yeah. says over and over and over again. And 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 it's like, wait, why can't I just get the same thing from a non-black or brown writer? And because he doesn't think you can. Because he, he because he believes in the same point of personality. Like, and this is the thing is that like, if it was just um, what they believe about um, racial uh, issues or systemic racism or whatever, if it was just that, like, you might be able to make a case that it, it's not so bad. But you, it's very obvious when you listen to Williams and Pennington and all of these guys, Timothy Paul Jones is another one, um, the, what they believe about race has driven what they believe about so many other topics. Mm-hmm. Like all of these other topics are downstream from what they believe about race. Once you accept the critical race theory paradigm, it's going to bleed into other areas of your theology, and it has. And that's how that's how Pennington has ended up being a postmodernist. Um, and 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 the the amazing thing is that the things that that Pennington teaches are not unknown to to Albert Moeller and, and the administration. Like everybody knows Pennington is a liberal. Everybody knows. And he goes to a liberal church, soldier. Uh, like he's not shy about this, but um, yeah, like that, that was one of the stories that like really drove me out of Southern was um, like once I saw that, I'm like, if, I don't know if I can support this institution anymore mm-hmm. because like Jonathan Pennington goes to work and he, hurts people's faith like that's what he does and i don't think i don't know if i can give money to a, a place that's willing to pay that man's salary um yeah. and so yeah, yeah like i i think that like what conservatives need to do is we need to gird up our loins and realize that it's going to be a fight and we're going to have to fire a lot of nice people like jonathan pennington is a very nice man but he's also dangerous and those things can happen at the same time. Sometimes nice people are the most dangerous. Yeah. And conservatives need to recognize that if we're going to save our denominations, like the PCA and the SBC, it's going to require a fight, and we're going to have to be opposed to people who are very nice people. Um, yeah. And we have to be okay with that. Because, like, maybe, like, I can be personal friends with someone who liberal in some way, but, like, they can't be seminary professors. Yeah. Right? So, like... And we can we need to be able to draw that line. Like I can like you as a person and recognize that you are unfit to have the position you hold. Um, yeah, exactly. And and if we're not willing to do that, we're gonna lose. We have to be willing to be the bad guy in a sense. Exactly. Great. Um, I think that's a good spot to end it. Um, well, uh, thanks for coming on. For everybody that wants to follow Tim, you can find him at T Dukeman. That's T D U K E M A N on uh twitter uh you can probably also find them on facebook you don't have a you, do you have a page or do you just have your personal i just have my personal page it's just yeah. facebook.com slash timothy dot dukeman all right awesome awesome so. do you do you write anywhere or do anything like that or um i used to and i i may start again i'm in a really busy spot with work so um not writing right now but i'm hoping to um i've had some offers so i'm hoping to get on a couple of websites maybe in the next okay. i don't know six months to a year all right, all right. Cool. yeah it's probably just gonna be my facebook 
for a little bit because that's what I have time for. So I've got three kids. It happens. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. Um, yeah. So, so at T Dukeman on, on, uh, on, uh, on Twitter, you can find him on Facebook. You just search his name probably. Mm -hmm. Um, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Okay.